You're listening to the Silver Lined Relaunch, and I'm your host, Hilary DeCesar, award-winning entrepreneur and transitional coach. Each week, I'll invite you to tune into inspirational stories, revealing how you too can turn ordinary experiences into the extraordinary. Feeling stuck? I'll share step-by-step strategies to fuel your ability to experience a life where silver linings are both abundant and possible. All right, welcome back to the Silver Lined Relaunch. And I'm so excited to share a what's going to be a very good friend of mine because we're going to be living close by. Miss Nancy Levin is with me today, and we're going to hear all about the incredible things that she's been working on. And we're going to hear about her journey, her relaunches the things that have impacted her. And she's going to share, you know, for some of us, it's the war stories. For some of us, those inspirational stories. For some of the people out there listening, you might be like, oh my God, that sounds a lot like me. So whichever camp you fit into, you will absolutely love this episode. And Nancy, thank you so much for being here today. I am delighted to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's going to be fun. So let's jump into this right away. For those that don't know you and are going to end up getting to know you very well during this episode, can you share your background and share what you think has really been an impactful relaunch? I would say for me, the most impactful relaunch came in the form of um, my marriage blowing up. And so it's one, it's, It's a perfect example of, you know, the catalytic moment of chaos becoming the gateway of opportunity. And so my whole life drastically shifted. And, you know, I had always been someone who lived by the motto, never let them see you sweat. I was a perfectionist. I was really managing the perception of others, giving people a very specific lens to see me through. And I was projecting that image of perfection out to the world. I was really always valuing myself uh, and assessing my worth based on what I did, what I achieved, what I produced, and spent a lot of energy uh, chasing all the gold stars, chasing all Mm. the external validation, all the approval of others. And the truth is that Everything we're seeking externally needs to be resolved internally first. And it wasn't until I was really willing to take a deep look at the truth of what was going on in my life versus the persona I was putting forth, nothing could change. So I had to really go to the place of recognize here are all the ways I've been packaging myself to be digestible to everyone else in my life. Well, I'm sure, I am sure that when people are listening to this, they're like, uh, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me. And when you say chaos becoming the gateway to opportunity, perhaps some are like, "Mm, I'd really like it to be, I'd like it to be. I love that comment because it really, in terms of silver linings, that's exactly what does happen. Can you share, you know, you talk about divorce and for so many of us, you know, 50% of us out there. Mm-hmm. have gone through a divorce. I've gone through mm-hmm. a divorce. But mm-hmm. even if you haven't gone through a divorce and you've just gone through a messy breakup, what you know? What can you share with us about that that now 
truly is that, that you can say there are silver linings around it. So one of what I will really say, this biggest silver lining was my willingness to tell myself the truth because I had been hiding the truth from myself and therefore hiding the truth from everyone else in my life. And I believe we create chaos in our lives when we're hiding the truth. Mm, so in my that. own in my own particular circumstance and all the gory, you know, all the gory details are in my books, but essentially, you know, the shit hit the fan when my ex-husband, my now ex-husband read my journals and discovered that I had had an affair eight years prior to the day he was reading them. Eight years before. Mm -hmm. Okay. First question that's popping in my mind is, why'd you keep that journal? Why was it still around? Why was the journal there? All right. Hit me with the details. It, 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 it never occurred to me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I kept journals since I was 11 years old. I had over 70 volumes of my journal. It never in a million years occurred to me that the journal would ever get read. And Okay. Can so I say something? I am right there with you. And so I want people to know I kept journals as well. And my journals were read, not in the same fashion, but when your journals get read, it's, it is, I mean, I'm going to let you tell your story, but it is an invasion of privacy. It is that moment of like, are you kidding? These were my innermost thoughts. So I, I get it. And I kept mine too. I kept mine until I didn't keep mine. <laughs> yeah, same with me. So I destroyed over 70 volumes of oh. my personal journal. And uh, and you know, it's it's fascinating. I mean, I've told this story on stage many, many, many times. And I often tell it at also, uh, I, I'm a regular speaker at the Hay House Writers Workshop, and I often tell it there. And inevitably, you know, where there are lots of writers. So inevitably, someone will come up to me and share with me some version of, you know, my journals were read or I, or, you know, I even had a woman who said I traveled here with an extra suitcase full of my journals because I didn't want to leave them home. And then what always fascinates mm. me is that people like you did as well. People come in with the like, oh my God, it's a betrayal. It's an invasion of privacy. And I'm like, did you hear the part where I said I had an affair? And, you know, there's, it's fascinating to me you know, all these years later too. I mean, I have done my work around shame. I've done my work around guilt. I've done my work around being able to, you know, release those pieces for me of my own personal story. And yet it's always comes back to the, to the invasion of privacy or the betrayal of reading the journals. But what I can tell you is I thank I thank God every day he read them <laughs> because I was in a marriage for 18 years where I was suffocating, where I was at the hand of his control, at the hand of his rage, at the hand of his abuse. And because I was someone who stayed silent, I was someone who didn't want anyone to know the truth of what was happening. I spent far more energy protecting him and I and you know sublimated all of my wants and needs in service of his. So, you know, I the, the, the version of me at that time did what she knew, did the only thing she knew how to do because she didn't know how to tell the truth. She didn't know how to come forward and say, Hey, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. But I can tell you that had he not read the journals, I would still be in that marriage. 
Mm. I would still be people pleasing. I would still be peacekeeping. I would still be managing the perception of everyone else. I would still be bending over backwards to avoid the truth. Mm. I, you know what? I, I hear you. And I think there are so many situations where you can look back afterwards and say, you know what? So happy that that did happen to me mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. whether it is a journal that was read, whether it's a conversation that was overheard, you know what? It, it does. I want to, I want to take us back to one thing you said that you're a perfectionist. Have you always been a perfectionist or is this something that you have noticed came out after this situation or before? Or what, Tell us more about that because I think there's sure. a lot of people out there that feel the same way. Sure. So, uh, you know, again, I've through the work that I've done on myself, you know, through coaching and through therapy, I've been able to connect a lot of dots in the constellation of my life. And so what I know for sure is that the perfectionism that I experienced originated out of the significant event of my brother dying when I was two years old. Mm. And so I was born, uh, I was born into a family who, that were already dealing with a very ill child. My brother had been born severely handicapped severely incapacitated. And so my, you know, under, under 10 years old is when our limiting beliefs, our shadow beliefs are imprinted. And this really becomes the map for the way that we run our lives. And so, uh, you know, the imprints on me at that very early age ran the gamut from better. I have no needs. His needs are more important than mine, uh, to, when he died, especially, you know, if I'm imperfect, like he is, I will die. And there was also, you know, my mother and I've had adult conversations where, you know, she said to me, I purposefully didn't attach to you because Mm. I was waiting to see what was wrong with you. That's tough. it, it, and so all of this, you know, so I know I was swimming in my mother's neurosis. There's proof around what happens, you know, to, you know, when you're, when, you know, a woman's pregnant and, you know, and fearful and, and all the anxiety and all the fluids. And so I know I was swimming around in all that. And because my parents didn't know that something was wrong with my brother, this was back in the early 1960s, they don't have the tests they have now, you know, they didn't know anything was wrong until it became really evident. So my mother said, you know, it was, it's all about self-preservation. I mean, we're all only doing these things out of self-preservation. And yet the things that really do keep us safe ultimately become the seed of our self-sabotage. And so- Isn't you know, that the truth? Yes, it is the, the things truth. things <laughs> that try to keep us safe. Yeah. You know, what we're really doing is we're sitting there and it's our own internal mechanism saying, yes. you know- we're going to just, we're going to keep you in this. We're going to keep you yep. doing this because this yep. has been, this is what, you know, you've been doing this all along. We don't yep. want to break from this because this is keeping you safe. And it's yep. incredible. And when you say um, from the perfectionist, a lot of people think that as they get older, oh gosh, it just became, you know, more and more. I started to be even a bigger perfectionist. But as you said, it really does start 
because of Mm -hmm. a situation Mm -hmm. that has happened, you know, something that you have had happen when you were younger, but a lot of us don't realize that, right? And for you in this scenario, you were under two years old. Right. Right. I mean, you were little Eddie Betty, Nancy. Yeah. These aren't, yeah. And these aren't (laughs) conscious. Yeah. These aren't necessarily conscious decisions we're making. Right. These are the unconscious conclusions that we're drawing about ourselves based on these events. Yeah. Right. So you all of a sudden, you know, you, you start to grow up and you are going under, you know, the, the auspices of like, this is what, this is just who I am. This is just who I am. And then you realize through circumstances, through things that happen in your life that elevate even more these internal feelings. Mm -hmm. Right. And as you said, is, you know, you had to deal with your worth based on what you achieved. I think that for, you know, many of us, it's, we can, we can relate to that. Yes. You know, and so how did, or, or when you actually realized all this, Mm -hmm. how do you now go away from your worth being associated with your perfectionism was a lot of your life, right? Yes. And your work was a lot of your life. And then you had this, you know, this relationship that went south and you're like, oh, I'm going to go even more into my work. What, how do you now make sure that you don't get back into that? My worth is my job. My worth is, you know, this, my worth is that. How do you, how do you stay above it? Yeah. And you know, it, it, the first thing I will say about it is that it is as cliche as it sounds, it is a process, you know, I mean, it is, it is uh, it is an untangling uh, and a rewiring. And so for me, that really began to happen when I left my position as the event director at Hay House. I had been there for 12 years, touring authors around the world, producing events with thousands and thousands of people, you know, and in that world, you know, I had a very high profile, very high paying, you know, very, very high octane job. And I, my identity was really wrapped in what I did. Understood. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a very powerful job that you're, you're doing and you did it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so the, the experience of deciding to leave that position to ultimately go out on my own was, I mean, the real critical essence of that journey was the journey back to the truth of who I am and the truth of my worth not being attached to how I was performing or what I achieved or what I did or how much I gave. And it really became in it really became, I became aware really of my inherent worth being connected to just who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a very, um, it's a confronting journey. And, and at the same time, you know, it really, there was all the pieces came together. So my divorce, my divorce settlement, I was the breadwinner. So I ended up giving a lot away because I wasn't standing firmly in my self-worth. I didn't know I could say no. 
I believed the lawyers. I believed the mediator. And so I, you know, I gave, I said yes to things that I absolutely would say no to now. But again, there's the catch 22 of the situation. Had I not gone through that experience, I don't, I wouldn't have been able to have the growth from it. And you can't, you can't ever beat yourself up for what you don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. And when you sit there and you say, Hey, it was, it, it was untangling. I, yeah. I think that that is such a perfect word. It's like that ball of yarn. Right. Yeah. And it's just this like, okay, let's just start. Let's just start to take that, you know, one circle at a time as it starts to unwind. Um, when you talk about the rewiring, that mm-hmm. that's something that I know people are are genuinely interested in of how do you go about rewiring? Because that sounds very complex and complicated, mm-hmm. but you were able and and granted, it's work. It takes it's time. Work. But mm-hmm. can you give us can you give us a few just examples sure. of what you mean by that? Sure. I mean, for me, one of the biggest things, and I imagine that this will resonate with with the listeners as well, uh, was really living other referenced. So really focused on other to the point of, you know, yes, codependency, but to the point of really orienting around what do they think, what do they need, what do they want, what do they feel, and then being in reaction to that. And so one of the big rewiring pieces is to actually be able to be in what do I think, what do I want, what do I need, what do I feel, and to begin giving myself permission to consider my own needs at least as much as I'm give, as I'm considering everyone else's needs. So first, you know, can I can I give myself permission to consider my own needs at least as much? And then to go to the place of can I give myself permission to consider my needs more, more than the needs of others? And then really the the ninja move is can I give myself permission to consider my needs first before I consider the needs of anyone else? And nowhere in here am I saying don't consider the needs of others. This isn't an either or. But so many of us are so used to, you know, putting ourselves on the back burner or like in my case, yeah, as I was saying, you know, from my childhood experiences, I really believed, you know, it's not safe. There's no, it's not safe to have needs and there's no reason for me to have needs and everyone else's needs are more important than mine. I'll be self-sufficient. I'll be independent. You know, so I really ran with that instead of connecting to any sort of want or need or desire. Well, and right there, it's the give, 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 give. Yeah. That's what women do, right? We give, mm-hmm. we give. Okay. What else can I do? And where there comes a very interesting point that the kind of like that, the thin line, the veil is when you want to serve others, but in order to serve others, you have to be grounded. Mm-hmm. You have to be in a place where it's authentic when you are bringing whatever you're saying, delivering, serving to the others. Mm-hmm. And I, I would love for you to address 
I had a very interesting conversation the other day with my dad. And I said, um, you know, dad, first and foremost, I got to make sure I'm okay. I got to mm-hmm. make sure, you know, this has been a year of, of, of deep mourning for me with my passing my mom. And I said to him, I'm like, I've had to put me ahead of everyone else because yeah. I was crumbling. Mm-hmm. And he made a comment. He said, do you feel that selfish? <laughs> and I thought, you know, initially I kind of was taken back. And then I thought, you know, hell no, that's not selfish, but I calmed myself before I really told him what I thought. But I think people think that sometimes when you put yourself first, mm-hmm. you're displaying selfish behavior. I hear, yeah, yeah. How, I, how, I, do, you, how do you do? I know this resonates. <laughs> it does because I mean, I hear this inevitably all the time. I mean, listen, I wrote a book called Permission to Put Yourself First. <laughs> so it's, you know, it we came, all need it, to go get it right now. <laughs> it, you know, so it comes right up. And then from that, you know, it really, to me, first of all, two things I'll say about this. One is I believe selfish self-care and self-love are three sisters whose job it is to support us in honoring ourselves. Hmm. I love that. Selfish self-care and self-care self-love. And self-love. Oh, yes. Nancy, that's so good. It's because, and here's the thing. We, we disown selfishness. We disown selfish to such a degree, and then we celebrate selflessness. And in selfless, I disappear. In selfless, I vanish. So what also happens, and the reason so many of us, you know, we've, we've identified selfish as bad or wrong, and the truth is, that none of these qualities we have are, are, let me say it this way, they're all charge neutral. We attach the charge of positive or negative because there is a gift to every quality. And any quality we see in another, we have in ourselves. And so if we can point a finger at someone else and say, she's so selfish, you know, there's the old saying, there's one point, there's one finger pointing back, pointing at someone else and three fingers pointing back at us. So it is, it is right there, the invitation to look at what am I disowning? The more I disown it, the more I will draw toward me people who exhibit this quality. So the more I disown selfish, the more I will draw all the selfish people toward me. And it really just becomes a mirror for me to own and integrate selfish in the way it presents in me. And I think this is so, this is so good and so Mm -hmm. deep. Mm -hmm. I I would like to just paraphrase again. Yeah, go ahead. What you're saying is that if there is something that you're seeing in others, yes, that is undesirable, it's an undesirable trait. It's literally a trait that you have that you are thinking is undesirable hence it's showing up that's right else because that's exactly what right you think and what you what you put out there comes back to you mm. yeah and yeah because the more we disown it that just means we're projecting it out onto others and we're really standing in the i'm not that and yeah, what we're, we're, 
where we give our, where we actually let ourselves off the hook around it is that we think I'm not selfish like she is, therefore I'm not selfish. So it's really about recognizing the ways in which I am selfish. And then also going the step further to look at the ways in which my selfishness serves me. My selfishness is a gift. My selfishness does support me in some way. It is a quality that I can call on to support me. And mm-hmm. so we don't, the, you know, really the goal of the soul is to be whole. <laughs> and we want to reclaim all these lost pieces of ourselves. We want to stop pushing them away and projecting them out. We actually want to reclaim them. So as you sit there and say the goal of the soul is to be whole, I think that when you have these things that are being reflected back at you so mm-hmm. often, right? Mm-hmm. You go, oh, I don't really talk about people as much as she does, or, mm-hmm. you know, all those types of comments. You need to be aware. You need to right. be aware of this conversation of what Nancy just said. And you need to be able to say, ooh, wait a second, wait a second. What I'm putting out, I'm getting back. Yeah. And to really, you know, again, just to sort of drive this point home, to really be able to separate out the behavior from the quality. Mm. So, you know, for another example, you know, I, I really rejected lazy for most of my life. I'm not lazy. And I married a man who was like the dictionary definition of lazy. He didn't want to work. And so, I then went into overcompensation mode to hide my own lazy. So I would go into overcompensation mode of workaholism, of overachieving, hyper-responsible. And it was very easy for me to say, I'm not lazy, I'm a workaholic. But that's connecting the behavior. So I had to really look at where's my lazy. My lazy is... Sometimes in the middle of the day, I lay on my sofa and binge watch five episodes of my favorite show. That's my lazy. That's what it looks like in me. It doesn't look like not working. So it's not the behavior. It's the quality that we're triggered by. We're, and the, I think the behavior's your interpretation, what, your interpretation yeah. of what you're saying is that lazy act. Because there's some people that would be like, hey, that's not lazy. That's what I do every single, you know, night. Right. No, right. Exactly. So it's our, it's the way it shows up in us and it's the behavior will be different across the board. And then to really own, I am lazy. I'm lazy. And my lazy replenishes me. My lazy gives me an opportunity to laugh or cry. My lazy is an outlet. You know, my lazy is is rest, whatever it might be. It's turning it, knowing you have it, knowing that this is something that you're trying to avoid. Yep. Yeah. All of a sudden now you're saying, but wait a second, if I stop trying to avoid it and I start trying to make this more about like, how, what is the benefit? What is it giving me? Right. What, is, what am right. I? It's replenishing. Hey, it's replenishing my soul. Right. It's like filling me up. Then I don't have to keep. Oh, love that. Yeah. That, that then I don't have to so keep pushing right. it away. That is, yeah. I mean, that is, that is good stuff. Um, okay. So. You've had these relaunches and you clearly, you know, celebrating some of the relaunches of like, thank goodness they happened. And as you're, as you're kind of moving into this 
new phase of what's next for you. How do you how do you sit there and say, I want to make this about my my purpose, my value. I'm not going to let this be a selfish act. I want to, as you've said, you know, I want to serve. I'm enjoying this. I'm loving this. You you left this, you know, high powered job, and now you're you're equally getting to be that high powered coach and deliverer of these important messages. How do you? And I often say it's you know you're part of this you know mid zone right where the we're the midlifers and we've got this second half of our life to live. And I know at Hayes House you have so many awesome books there that that go into this point mm-hmm. that we can all have better second halves. But what are you seeing for yourself now? What are you wanting in this next chapter of your life? It's interesting you say this because you know I so I left my job at Hay House, now it's been over six years ago that I've been out on my own, you know, books, five books later, you know, whatever, coaching programs, the whole thing. And while I'm still ambitious and I'm still motivated and I'm still inspired, there's also a way in which I am far more uh, paying attention to being streamlined to, to slowing down in terms of not muscling through and not pushing through so that it's far more, that things are more deliberate. Uh, also being, not needing to be the one and the only one. And that was a big thing for me for many years to really be able to delegate, to be able to lean on my team to delegate to the point of creating space in my own life so that I have, so that I'm really only doing the things that only I can do, not, not the things that I can do, but other people can do also. Oh, absolutely. This is such an important point. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it, so that I, so that I really am focusing on teaching and training and speaking and writing and, you know, creating the material and the content for those things and letting the rest of my team do the other pieces. And it's very freeing. And to me, that really does come from what we were talking about before. You know, I need, this is about stepping into center stage of my own life. You know, this is about stepping into what do I need to show up best, you know, and a big piece of this has been around boundaries. A big piece of this has been around saying no to a lot of things and getting really clear that the only way I'm going to free my yes is by honoring my no. Ah. Free yes by honoring no. And yes, it is about boundaries. And when you said the idea of delegating, right? Mm -hmm. For so many of us, we're (laughs) just like, hey, I can do it. It's going to take me longer. If I have to explain to somebody else, I'll just do it. And this is a big part of what we always talk about, which is, you know, you're playing then in the mid zone instead of your zone of genius. And you're actually, 
you know, you're, you're taking that, that mid zone and you're, you're creating this environment that you're not going to be able to be deliberate. You're not going to be able to do what you ultimately need to do. If you don't learn how to delegate, if you don't, as you just said, you know, say no, and then it clears the way for you to freely say yes. Yeah. Because it also, it's not sustainable or scalable to do, to do it all, to do it all ourselves. It's Uh, not, it's not, (laughs) it's not. So let me ask you, what are you working on right now? What, like if people really are just like, Oh gosh, I need to, you know, hear more about this. We talked about your books. We're going to put links in, but what are you, what are you, what are you working on right now? Yeah. I mean, really the, the, the things that, the things that I'm focused on are my uh, life coach training and certification program and my coaching membership. So these are the two, you know, I really, I really have streamlined my own business to these two distinct offerings. And yeah, there's some other one, there's some others trickled in throughout the year, but these are the two things that that really light me up mm. and that I love engaging in the most. And so uh, those well, are what will, I'm working We on. will definitely have links again to that. And I always do the rapid fire questions at the end. So are okay. you, are you ready? Are you I'm strapped ready. in? Go are you ready it. to do this? Okay. <laughs> Go for it. So Zoom calls dressed head to toe or waist up? Head to toe. But I wear a lot of dresses. Yeah, I was going to say, because if you're watching this, I think, yeah, I get that. All right. So I wear how, a lot of dresses. Often, how often do you wash your hair? Oh, great question. Um, two to three times a week. Okay. That's more than most these days. But I, <laughs> but I wet, but I wet it every night. To get the curls. Uh-huh. Because you have natural curls. This year. Yeah, this nice. is, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Favorite podcast besides this one. Um, online marketing made easy, Amy Porterfield. Yeah, that one is a plus. I agree. Uh, I love this beauty product and the name. I love this beauty product and the name. Um, that's so funny. Um, it's actually my hair stuff. Bounce curl. Okay. Bounce curl. I like it. Bounce curl. Yeah. Okay. And then backyard barbecue or a swanky cocktail party. Backyard barbecue. Mm. And then a go-to <laughs> poolside drink. Hmm. I'm just going to say, um, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I'm so not a poolside person. Um, but I, but I will say the go-to would be, um, a glass of champagne. Okay. That's, that's always a crowd favorite. Yeah. And then this is the big question. What does a powerhouse of possibility mean to you? Hmm. The first thing that popped in my mind was just about staying open to the expansion. It's a great way to put it. It really does. Right. In order to yep. lean into that powerhouse, being yep. open. Yeah. And there is always the yeah. ability when you're open to expand and when you're not, yeah. not going to happen. All right. Well, listen, Nancy, thank you so much for being here. And it all of the wise words that you gave us 
thank you for sharing your inspirational stories because I am sure that they resonated with everyone out there. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you felt a connection to this episode of the Silver Lined Relaunch, please head over to iTunes now. It would mean so much to me if you would leave a good review and help others find silver linings as well. And don't forget, you can have immediate access to all of the bonuses and notes from the show today in our treasure chest, which you have access to for free by texting 55444 and typing in treasure chest. Or you could go to our private Facebook group, The Relaunch Effect, Living a Life You Love. Together we've hit the reset button for you, turning your transitions into a transformation. Until next time, don't forget, there's always a silver lining.